Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the place to be this weekend with UFC 279 on Saturday night and NFL Week 1 action on Sunday. Go to waltersdc.com slash events to register for the UFC 279 watch party. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wainwright, the belt high set. Hernandez and Abrams run. The pitch. Line in the air to left field, sending Dickerson back and over. He lunges, can't get it. This ball's by him into the wall and will clear the bases. Nationals have their first lead in the ball game, 4-3. to three. Alex Call with a clutch hit. Drives in two with a line shot to left center field. First pitch. Abrams hits one to left field, slicing toward the line. Long chase Dickerson not going to get there. It lands. Fair. And will bang around in the corner. Cruz rounding third, being waved in. Dickerson throws it in, and this will be held on to as Cruz crosses the plate with the Nationals' seventh run. Now the 0-1 on the way. Swing and a long drive by Cole. This is way back. Dickerson to the warning track, to the wall, and it is gone. Goodbye. Alex Cole with a three-run home run, breaking this game wide open here in the top of the ninth inning. It is now a four-hit game for him with two singles, a two-run double, and a three-run home run. What a day for Alex Call as the Nationals pour it on. It's now Washington 11 and St. Louis 4. And welcome to Nat Chat for Friday, September 9th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Amazing, but true. The Nats went four and three over a seven-game stretch, playing first a three-game series at the National League East leading New York Mets, and then a four-game series at the National League Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. The Nats may have the worst record in the majors, but uh, they have taken it to two of the NL's top big boys this season over the course of the first seven games of this 10-game road trip. An 11-6 win at the Cardinals on Thursday afternoon. One of the more impressive offensive games for the Nats this season. 11 runs, 18 hits, two walks, nine for 21 with runners in scoring position. There were some pitching problems for the Nets in this game. We can get to those. But Mark, this, for the last week and a half, has been an impressive major league offense. And Nats team that has had such a hard time hitting and scoring runs this season has been almost getting on base at will, it feels like, for the most part, over the last 10 days or so. Yeah, and doing it against some you know halfway decent pitching staffs. And let's be honest, they should have gone 5-2 and two 
in these two series. If not for Kyle Finnegan's struggles in the bottom of the ninth on uh, Wednesday night, they take three out of four here in St. Louis. So credit to them. This is certainly been the best sustained run they've gone on at any point this year. And that they're doing with offense, despite not having Juan Soto or Josh Bell in there, uh, it says something. And it's honestly, it's pretty unexpected. I figured if they were going to have any kind of decent you know, week or two week run in them against good quality opponents, it was going to be behind pitching. And instead, it's actually been behind the offense. That's a nice little development and very unexpected. Yeah. I mean, it's funny watching some of these games that it's like a lot of base runners, like every inning, the Nats have, it feels like multiple guys on base. So often the Nats are getting leadoff men in innings on base. The Nats are piling up hits. I mean, in this game, 18 hits in a nine inning game, that's rare. Like, You'll see teams score 9, 10, 11 runs, but it won't take 18 hits. Now, some of this, yes, is the Nats don't hit homers. So they score on singles and like the occasional double, and that's more or less it. But geez, I mean, 18 hits in this game for the Nats, they did a good job. And it's so funny how these things can play out. Alex Call wasn't even supposed to be in the Nats lineup on Thursday afternoon, but he ended up being in the lineup because Victor Robles was scratched from the lineup due to neck stiffness. And of course, what does Alex Call end up doing? He ends up having a monster game. He was an at starting left fielder and number nine batter. He went four for five with five RBI. Not bad for a number nine batter. The guy had a three-run homer, a two-run double, and two singles. Call in an at's one-run third, a leadoff first pitch single to left field. Call in an at's two-run fourth, a two-out full count, two-run double to left field. Although the ball was completely misplayed by the Cardinals left fielder, Corey Dickerson. The ball went over Dickerson's glove as he uh, leapt into the air, but still went down as a two-run double. Call in an at's one-run six, a one-out full count single to left field to conclude a 10-pitch plate appearance. And then the big blow, Alex Call in an at's four-run ninth, a two-out three-run homer to left to put the Nats up 11-4. Here you have Alex Call, a waiver claim from the Cleveland Guardians. And that's brought him up from AAA Rochester on August 14th. He's done some nice things for the Nats. He almost made what could have been a game-saving catch in the uh, walk-off loss on Wednesday night. But what a job by Alex Call on Thursday. So I'm glad you mentioned the uh, almost game-saving catch the night before. And I asked him about that after this game and said, you know, was that a play that you went back to the hotel and it was on your mind at all? And he said, yeah, it really was. And this tells you a little bit something about the guy. He acknowledges it was not a routine play, and it certainly was not. But he also said, you're in the big leagues, and as that's happening, as it's playing out right there, the ball's coming to you, he's thinking to himself, I have a chance to end the game. I have a chance to win the game if I can make this play. And when he didn't, even though it would have been a spectacular catch, probably the best game-ending catch we've seen since Steven Souza saved Jordan Zimmerman's no-hitter in 2014 – it did kind of sting for him. He thought that he had a shot at doing something really amazing to end that game. And when it didn't happen, it stuck with him for a while. He shows up to the ballpark for this very quick turnaround to the matinee game and just assumes that he's not playing. And it was really only about an hour before game time that he got the tap on the shoulder from Davey, found out that Robles had to be scratched with the stiff neck and said, okay, I'm going to go try to do something today. And he wound up having the best game of his very brief major league career. Good for him. I think a lot of guys are already impressed with him within that clubhouse, how hard he plays. He's not a young rookie. He's 27. He's not Joey Manessa's 30, but he's 27, been around the block a little bit, and he's trying to make the most of this opportunity he's been given. Uh, Dave said he probably earned himself another spot in the lineup for Friday night in Philly. 
One thing that you do see is, you know, when teams go from bad to good, it's not always just with like first round picks or even draft picks, period. You will see teams get guys off the waiver wire and figure things out with those guys and those guys end up being productive. Now, usually it's relievers, not position players. But, you know, if you can take someone like an Alex Call and get some production out of him, more power to you. I mean, it has been nice to see the Nats get some production out of Corey Abbott, another waiver claim. You know, you're getting maybe something here from Alex Call. So that's good. I mean, the Nats need to become more adept at this, taking other teams, quote unquote, trash and turning it into your treasure. You know, like that's a mark of a good organization. So good job, Alex Call on Thursday. Good job, C.J. Abrams. He continues to look better as a batter. Remember, he did not start the game on Wednesday night but he started on Thursday afternoon. He went two for five with an RBI double and a single. He had an ads one run six, had a one out single up the middle on a one two pitch. And he had an ads two run seventh, had a two out first pitch opposite field RBI double off the left field warning track uh, right near the left field foul line for a seven four Nats lead. So in one instance, he smokes a one two pitch for a hit. In another instance, he goes the opposite way for a big RBI double. So we continue to see good stuff from C.J. Abrams. Remember, he in the first game of this series, the other win for the Nats in this series, that 6-0 win on Monday, went 4-for-5 with a triple and three singles. We saw Cesar Hernandez do well in this game. He went 3-for-4 with an RBI double, an RBI single, another single, and an RBI sack fly. How about Cesar in this series over his three games? 6-for-11 with a triple, a double, four singles, and two walks. We saw Luke Voigt for a second consecutive game be productive. Two for three with a double, an infield single, and a couple of walks. And we saw, and this, my friends, was a victory in and of itself, Nelson Cruz in the number six spot. Davey Martinez finally did it. He pulled the trigger on dropping Nelson Cruz in the batting order. This was just the second time this season, just the second time that Nelson Cruz batted in the six spot. But Nelson, to his credit, had a nice game. Three for five with three singles. A lot of different Nats were in on the act on Thursday. So here's the stat. There's six through nine hitters in this game. We don't typically think of the Nats having such a deep lineup at the bottom half is productive. Their six through nine hitters went 12 of 19 and drove in nine runs. They got that from almost everybody. Cruz, Hernandez, Abrams, Call. They did this despite hardly getting anything from the top of their lineup and despite an offer from Joey Manessis, who actually looked human for a change. So credit to all those guys down there. Nelly Cruz, was productive as a six-hitter, go figure, and also ran the bases a lot. He scored from first on the C.J. Abrams double. He scored again from second on the Cesar Hernandez single in the ninth. That was a good game for Nelson Cruz, dare I say that. And also Cesar Hernandez having himself a pretty good road trip, homeward in New York, tripled in St. Louis, and now a three-hit game with a double and three RBIs. A lot of good stuff there, and that's not necessarily a part of the lineup or the names that we've been talking about much. So nice to see they at least have that in them in this instance. The other thing, too, with the Nats on Thursday is that they hit against a good starting pitcher, Adam Wainwright. He's in his age 40 season, so he like has no business being as good as he is, but he is good. He's having a good season. He came into this game with an ERA plus of 119 over 27 starts this season, and the Nats did a nice job against him. Wainwright ended up allowing four runs in five innings in this game. While we are discussing Nationals position players in this game, all the best to Kbert Ruiz. Uh, This is one of these things that uh, you never like to hear. And, you know, it's kind of funny, I guess, but it's not really funny because he ended up having to go to the hospital. Kbert Ruiz was sent to the hospital with uh, swollen testicles after getting hit with a foul ball. And I know that you reported the Nats were waiting for him to return before they left 
for Philadelphia. So I guess this isn't like an overnight situation or anything like that. But, you know, all jokes aside, that is painful, man. And uh, certainly hope that Cabot Ruiz is doing well. Yeah. Now, look, we have heard over the years of major league catchers and other ballplayers having things like this happen. And sometimes it does turn out to be rather serious. So jokes aside, it can be actually a very dangerous situation. That sounded like, at least in the immediate aftermath, that they weren't overly concerned. It was more precautionary that they sent him there. They did want to hold the plane because they didn't believe that he would be needing to spend the night. They felt like he'd be able to come back and join them, so they were hanging on to see him. But what's strange about this is it happened in the bottom of the second on a foul tip, and he was really upset. You can see he took his face mask off and slammed it to the ground. So, I mean, he knew that it was bad. This is a guy who's taken a pounding all year long on foul tips and all kinds of other things have happened to him. Well, he ends up staying in the game for another four innings. It wasn't until the bottom of the sixth when they replaced him with Riley Adams. So he came up to bat a couple of times. He ran the bases. And I think it's when he ran the bases that he finally realized this is a problem. I need to come out of this game. We've talked so much here lately about how much he has played. Even the game that he didn't start finally on Wednesday, he was back there at the end of the game. They brought him in at the end uh, after the pinch uh, hitting, pinch running situation. So they needed uh, for defense late in the game. So the guy has played so hard and so much. You hope that he's all right from this. It sounds like they aren't overly concerned it's going to be anything you know, beyond that. But it's a scary thing. And you know, when it happens, you kind of giggle at it. And there's nothing that a trainer and a manager can do except let him try to walk it off. But on occasion, those things are actually very serious injuries. And hopefully it's nothing like that in this case. This might be a dumb question, but I'll ask it. Does he wear a cup? Do catchers wear cups? I've never known of a major league catcher as long as I've been doing this that did not wear one. Now, that said, I cannot confirm for you 100% <laughs> that he does. It wasn't a question that was specifically asked. But uh, I know a lot of position players don't. But I've never heard of a catcher who does not wear one, at least in my time covering the sport. Okay. So I guess maybe the cup, the ball went under the cup or cracked the cup or who knows what could have happened. Yeah. Or, it, you know, it did the best it could and it maybe prevented it from being even worse. Uh, that's possible. Well, get well soon, Cape at Ruiz. That does not sound fun at all. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Menezes' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Three-two pitch, hit in the air, deep left field, down the line toward the corner, and it is a fair ball, and it is gone. Yadier Molina has tied this game with a line drive that just clears the fence at the 336 mark down the line. It got over there by about a foot. It's now the Cardinals four and the Nationals four. It's a two-homer game for Molina. He has doubled his home run total this season to four, and they are loving it here in St. Louis. The man who was also part of the trade that gave the Nats Cabot Ruiz, Josiah Gray, was the Nats starting pitcher on Thursday afternoon. And, you know, it's kind of strange with a game like this because the Nats hitting was great. It's awesome to see the Nats win this game. But in the bigger picture, you could argue that what mattered the most from this game was what happened with Josiah Gray. And he was not good once again in this game. He allowed four runs in three into third innings. He gave up six hits, two home runs, a double, and three singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He over his three and a third innings threw 84 pitches, 49 strikes versus 35 balls. I mentioned, though, the two home runs, and this is what sticks with you more than anything. The two homers that Josiah Gray gave up were to Yadier Molina. Understand this about Yadier Molina. He is a shell of what he had been as a batter. This is his age 39 season. He came into the game having hit two home runs the entire season. He came into the game with an OPS plus for the season of 51, which is abysmal. And yet he in this game homered twice off Josiah Gray. Gray in the Cardinals two-run second gave up a one-out two-run homer to Molina to left field for a 3-1 Cardinals lead. Gray in the Cardinals one-run fourth gave up a one-out full-count solo homer to Molina to left field to conclude a nine-pitch plate appearance and to tie the game at four. We have talked a lot about Josiah Gray's home run problem. It's not getting better. It, in a lot of ways, is getting worse. He now is allowed a major league worst 36 home runs this season. His ERA for the season now is up to 506, but I don't know that anything captures the Josiah Gray home run problem more than him getting tattooed not once but twice by Yadier Molina in the same game. Yadier Molina on Thursday afternoon doubled his home run total for the season. 
<laughs> that is not something that you want on your resume if you're a pitcher. No, and the previous two both came all the way back in May, both of against the Giants, as a matter of fact. So those are the only two teams who have given up home runs to him this season. Now, this was an emotional day for Molina and Wainwright. They were the starting battery together for the 324th time in their careers, and that tied the major league record set by the Tigers' Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehand. That's a long time ago that those two were there. The crowd was really into this for him. Molina got two curtain calls, one after each home run. Wainwright, as we talked about, did not live up to his end of the bargain. Albert Pujols did not homer, did not have a hit in the whole series. So, of the three potentially retiring stars of the Cardinals, Molina is the only one who came through with those home runs, and it's not a good look. Josiah was upset at himself for that. He's also upset at himself over the walks that he's issued. And I'll admit, I did not realize this until covering this game and looking up his numbers on the year. He not only leads the majors in home runs allowed, he's now leads the National League in walks issued this year. That is a bad combination, walks and homers. And in this case, both batters that he walked came around to score. One of them came just before one of the home runs. You combine those with, like you said, an ERA over five. And I know we've talked about how, well, overall, this has been a positive season for Josiah Gray and there's been more good than bad. Maybe so. But at the end of the day, if he finishes with an ERA over five and led the league in walks and home runs, it's going to be hard to look at that and say this was a very positive development for him or for the Nationals. That concerns me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in the moment, you say, well, there's been more good than bad. As this season is going on, I think we're getting further and further away from that. And I find it discouraging that, you know, the Nats have been giving him extra rest lately, and they're clearly trying to massage things down the stretch for him. And he's not sort of living up to that. He's not, you know, fulfilling his end of the bargain on that. He's pitching worse, not better. You know, you always want to see a guy get better, especially a young player get better over the course of a season. We're not seeing that with Josiah Gray. We're not seeing him end strong, end well, end on a high note. I don't know if he's fatigued. You know, I know the Nats want to get him across the finish line. I don't know if maybe it's time to entertain the idea of of just shutting him down for the year because he's out of gas. But maybe that's not the issue. Maybe he's feeling fine and he's just not executing pitches. We don't know. We know how much it matters that Josiah Gray ends up panning out. We know that you can't just write a promising pitching prospect off after two major league seasons, but you do want to see improvement. You know, he doesn't have to be Cy Young this season, but you'd like him to be better than an ERA over five, leading the majors and homers allowed, leading the National League in walks issued. And I mean, you know, you take a step back, like this home run stuff, he over his two seasons now, over 202 into third innings has given up 55 home runs. I mean, that is a jaw-dropping total. And if this was like Patrick Corbin or Yoan Adone, what would we be saying about that? We'd be saying, forget this guy, right? We're not saying that about Josiah Gray because there is a talent and a pedigree there. But, you know, I said this to you the last time we talked about Gray. I do think next season is a big season because if he's still in this same territory more or less next year at this time as he is right now, then I think it's time to be concerned. You know, he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to be better than this next season. Yeah, you need to see improvement season to season, obviously. And I agree, it would have been nice to see him finish stronger than he started. He peaked in June. That's when he was very good over a series, about four or five starts in a row. Since then, there have been a couple good ones, but more bad ones than good ones. I guess the reason that you still cling to him as a potential big part of this moving forward is that his good starts have been great. You know, 10 plus strikeout games against some good lineups. Remember, he had a good one in Philly this summer. That stretch that he went through in June obviously was really good. But 
I think where he has to go next, what he's got to prove is he doesn't need more of those dominant starts. He just needs more of the average to decent starts that give your team a chance. Those nights when you don't really have it all, but you find a way to get through it and give them six innings and three runs or less. And he's not doing that. He gets knocked out early. The pitch count gets really high and he keeps getting burned by one big swing that scores multiple runs. That absolutely has to improve. That cannot be a way for him to continue to succeed at this level in the long run. He's got to find a way to keep the ball in the park. One of the things that we really have come to see with the Nats' bad starting pitching these last few years is when you're a good pitcher versus a bad pitcher, a lot of it isn't how good is your good, it's how bad is your bad. Patrick Corbin has good outings. The problem is his bad outings are wretched, and there are too many of them. With Josiah Gray, it's kind of the same thing. He has really good outings, but the bad outings are really bad. We've seen Eric Fetty have good outings, but the bad outings are really bad. And I almost feel like that's kind of a mark of a good pitcher is that your bad isn't so bad. And, you know, obviously you want your good to be great, but it almost matters more that your bad isn't terrible. And these guys, their bad is terrible. And we see that. And uh, that obviously is something that you want to fix. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't know. You know, someone says life on the line. Is Josiah Gray going to pan out? I don't know what you say right now. I really don't. I mean, I think about this from the perspective of the Dodgers, too. Do you think the Dodgers are looking at Josiah Gray and Kaber Ruiz and regretting that trade? I think probably not. Now, part of it is, you know, they're the Dodgers and they have like this endless supply of promising prospects. But I don't think you look at those two guys, especially Gray, and say, oh, man, I can't believe we traded those guys away. I think you're kind of like, yeah, you know, they might work out, but I don't know. So far, it's very mixed. Yeah, um, they are pretty well covered those other spots. They could use some pitching, although at the moment, Josiah Gray would not be, you know, an effective member of their rotation. They weren't really hurting for catching. Uh, They have Will Smith, who's very good there. I would say it probably depends on what happens this postseason for them. Their whole deal with that was Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, two postseasons with Trey, one with Max. We're trying to win it all. Well, they didn't win it all last year. Max is gone now. They still have Turner for the rest of this year until he becomes a free agent. If they don't win it all this year and they end up losing both of them and they didn't win anything with them, they may not necessarily regret the players they gave up. But I don't think they're going to look at that trade as having been a very big positive for them because it didn't take them. Those are supposed to be get you over the hump moves. And at least to this point, that hasn't happened. I wonder, and the Dodgers would never admit to this, but if they saw any flaws in Gray, especially, and were like, look, he might work out, but we also have some concerns, so let's go ahead and trade him. You know, Not unlike the Nats with Lucas Giolito, and the Nats were ultimately proven wrong on Giolito, although he initially did struggle pretty badly with the White Sox. You know, I, I don't think it's like the Dodgers looked at Gray and said, this guy has no chance, let's get rid of him. But it may have been they looked at him and said, yeah, he's got this and that going for him, but he also has these other things that could be an issue. And, you know, he's not a premium prospect for us, so we can go ahead and include him in this package. Would be interesting to know that. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. We are into September, a time for pennant races in baseball, and Window Nation is offering pennant race-worthy savings. New windows from Window Nation at half the price. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. And the average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation windows are great. And Window Nation windows are installed right the first time. Take advantage of this terrific deal. Buy two windows, get two windows free. This goes for any style of new window from Window Nation and pay nothing until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Now Edwards has the sign come set. With the bases loaded, one out, his pitch. Swung on, ground ball, base hit, down the left field line. Scoring one run, it's going to score two. Stopping at second base is Kisner. And the Cardinals play two runs here in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's now the Nationals 11, and the Cardinals 6 with two on. And Albert Pujols coming up. Well, a wild game for the Nats bullpen on Thursday afternoon. Five relievers ended up pitching in this game, and basically each reliever had like his own story that could be told. So you had Mason Thompson starting things off. He was outstanding. One and two-thirds perfect innings. He came into the game in the bottom of the fourth, bases loaded, one out, then recorded back-to-back outs. He faced five batters. He got five outs. This was another multi-inning outing for Mason Thompson, so note that. And also note this, Mason Thompson this season, over 13 and two-thirds major league innings, has allowed one earned run. His ERA is 0.66. Sample size small, yes. Missed a lot of time, yes. Remember, he was out for uh, basically, what, almost three months uh, due to a right bicep strain. He's been optioned to AAA Rochester multiple times, but geez, he has done a good job, did a really good job on Thursday afternoon. Andres Machado did a good job in this game. Two scoreless innings. Then came what Davey Martinez did for the bottom of the eighth inning. He went to Kyle Finnegan. I think for a lot of us who were like, probably Finnegan's not going to get used in this game because he pitched so much on Wednesday night, pitched 31 pitches and giving up five runs in the bottom of the ninth. But no, Finnegan was used in this game, but he was brought in in the bottom of the eighth. And this was not one of these bring him in in a high leverage non-ninth inning spot. This was bring him in in the bottom of the eighth to face the bottom of of the Cardinals lineup. So that was interesting. Finnegan, to his credit, did pitch well. He tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth inning. Then the Nats turned the game into basically a blowout. And so instead of Carl Edwards Jr. tossing the ninth, we got Jake McGee. But the Jake McGee show did not go so well in this game. He got charged with two runs, got just one out, came into the game, bottom of the ninth, Nats up 11-4, face four batters, got just the one out, giving up two singles and a walk. And then Carl Edwards Jr. did come into the game, comes into the game with the Nats up by seven, but with the bases loaded, one out, gives up a one out, two run single to Corey Dickerson, but then gets the final two outs of the game, which, by the way, ended up lasting for three hours 57 minutes. Rob Manfred, call your office on that with a nine inning game, three hours, 57 minutes. But man, there is a lot to digest with this Nats bullpen on Thursday. Yeah. Well, first of all, did you see the news late in the afternoon that on Friday, I think it's going to be officially announced rule changes for 2023, including the pitch clock. So hopefully these three hour, 57 minute nine inning games are a thing of the past. Also, the shift is going to be out and that's another story. We'll get to that one of these days. As far as all this, I thought the most interesting things here were that, yes, he went back to Finnegan and, like you said, did so 
in a, I'm not going to call it a low leverage spot, but certainly not the kind of high leverage spot that we're used to. So that was both a signal that Davey wanted to get him back out there, give him a chance to feel good about himself again and not let that thing fester for any amount of time. So there's some, you know, mind games at work there, give him a little confidence booster. But it also had something to do with this fact. Hunter Harvey was not available. I thought all along, oh, they're setting it up now for Harvey to pitch the ninth, something I would like to see happen before it's all said and done. Well, here's the problem. Remember how we talked about Harvey warming up the other night and uh, would Davey go to him at all? Well, he didn't go to him. Turns out he was unavailable in this game because he warmed up too many times the previous night. That's a no-no. You do not want to ever let that happen. You warm a guy up, you want to get him into the game. You certainly don't want to have it cost his availability for the next day. And so that's how you end up with, it would have been Edwards if it was still a three-run lead. Instead, now you're trying to get McGee to finish it off. He was a mess. They bring in Edwards and you know he got the job done in the end. But that was way more going on, way more dramatic than it ever needed to be. And of course, when you have the memory of what happened the previous night on the back of your minds, you're just kind of fearing the worst. And I'm sure the Cardinals were feeling good about it. But then the craziest thing of all, Ollie Marmol, the Cardinals manager, with his team starting to rally in the ninth, ends up pinch hitting for both Goldschmidt and Arenado. He gave up. He wasn't even trying to mount the comeback. And even with that, you had McGee walking Kisner, who was pinch hitting for Arenado. That's not a good sign. The Jake McGee experiment, we talked about it when they brought him in a few weeks ago. It's not working out. And the innings he's providing is not setting the stage for anything in the future. And it probably has come at the expense of some younger pitchers who could have used the work. Well, remember, they chose him over Mason Thompson. They optioned Mason Thompson to have McGee on the team. And if this McGee thing ends up flopping, and so far you have to say it is flopping, well, then that doesn't look so good, especially as Mason Thompson now has an ERA of 0.66. I mean, if you can fix a reliever, more power to you. But, you know, if you bring him in and he's just as bad for you as he was for the team that just DFA'd him, well, then, you know, it's a waste of time. And that may end up proving to be the case here with Jake McGee. So this 10-game road trip, which looks so daunting, three games at the Mets, four games at the Cardinals, three games coming up at Philadelphia. Nats are 4-3 and three so far on the trip. Nats are at 49-89 and 89 on the season. Four wins away from making sure that the team does not have a 110 loss season. Maybe this is a question with an obvious answer, but I'll ask it. Is there more joy with the team winning more lately? I mean, the team is playing a more competent brand of baseball. The team is competitive. The team is scoring runs. Are you feeling that now that you are back in the clubhouse this season? Yeah, definitely feeling it. They're having fun right now. And I'll be honest, even as bad as the season's been, when they win, they still have fun. They've got a little post-game routine in their clubhouse with some stuff behind the scenes that we don't all get to see, but we can kind of hear from outside the door at times. They have been enjoying it, much like the 2019 team did. Obviously, those wins meant a lot more. But especially here in the last week, especially with some younger guys contributing to it, and especially when they go on the road and beat some playoff teams, first place teams, they absolutely are enjoying it. And I think that's good for them in that at the end of what's been a brutal season that is going to end up with at least 100 losses, maybe not 110 now the way they're going finally, it would be very easy to just roll over, you know, play out the string here. They're not doing that. I give them a lot of credit for that. They care. Even the games they're losing here lately, they're in every one of them, like we've talked about, and should have been five and two 
on this trip before they go to Philadelphia. And I know they're going to be motivated to go there and try to beat a Phillies team that's right in the thick of the race as well. Yeah. And we've talked about this with Davey Martinez, but I do think it's a credit to him. You've had these back-to-back really bad seasons. You could argue three straight bad seasons if you count the 2020 you know, COVID-shortened season. Not a single report or story or anything about clubhouse tension or people not getting along or an anonymous player said this, a source close to the situation said that. You don't get any of that with this team. Now, I know that you guys weren't allowed in locker rooms uh, the last few years, so maybe that's a part of this, but we remember how ugly things got in, say, 2015. I don't think you should just ever take for granted when a team is bad or disappointing and there is no ugliness. Like, I think that is a credit to him and the culture with this team. There has been a lot of ugliness on the field these last few years. As far as we know, there has been little to zero ugliness off the field. I mean, you know, I guess you could point to something like the Starling Castro thing last year, but that's a different situation. That's not like a clubhouse situation. Nothing. I mean, it seems like people are getting along and there isn't like infighting or anything like that. No. And that Starling Castro thing last year, remember, once it actually got out what happened, they immediately cut ties. You don't see every professional sports team take that approach with similar allegations. They did not even bother to cut bait and move on. Now, you never know exactly everything. It's We have access. We don't have access to everything. We're not in there all the time. But if there's any tension, anything going on in there, they have done a fantastic job of hiding it from all of us who are in there a decent amount of time. It's been a fun group. It's been a good group that is not really... If you just walked in there, if you're a reporter, you walk into that clubhouse and don't know what their record is, you don't go in there and immediately think, oh, God, this is a 100-loss team. You're not saying, oh, wow, this is one of the best teams in baseball just because you look around the room and you don't recognize a lot of the names or faces, but they're in a good mood most times, most days. And I give them credit. They This has not been an easy season, but they have found ways to motivate themselves. And especially for anybody who's trying to make their case to be part of this next year, they're playing with a lot of energy and passion right now. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Three games at the Phillies. Uh, Nats will go Patrick Corbin, Eric Fetty, and Anibal Sanchez. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. So the review does not have to be long, can be just a sentence or two saying, that you like the podcast, but the ratings and the reviews are much appreciated. They help to make the podcast successful. All Nationals radio highlights on that chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Pitch. Swing a little looper. Shallow center. Out goes Garcia, tracking it. Now backpedaling. Makes the catch. What a job by Mason Thompson. He retires Goldschmidt and Arenado, keeps the game tied as the Cardinals leave the bases loaded.